The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are fairly deep into the season at this point. Teams are starting, are closing in on the 50-game mark. The trade deadline is about three weeks away. Uh, and while you're, while there's a good chance you know what the standings are going to look like in November, now, now is the time the teams separate themselves. Uh, those on the inside separate themselves from those on the outside. And in the East, I think you can say that, you know, we know which eight teams it's going to be. Maybe not which order, um, but which eight. Don't, West we say is, that back, don't we say that back in November, though? No, because at that point, at that point, we already know which eight teams are going to be in. We're supposed to know. Oh, okay. some of those teams have some of those teams have changed. Particularly in the West, I mean, at, in the West, a couple of months ago, Anaheim was leading their division. Now they're in the third wild card spot, which is outside the playoffs. Uh, okay. Uh, and they've also played two games more than either the Kings or Nashville. Okay. Um, what we're going to see between now and the end of the season and that first bloody Monday after the end of the uh, regular season is a lot of general managers moving. I wouldn't be surprised to see it as many to, for there to be as many as five really? between now and the end of the season. Five, five. And I think one of them is going to be because of the, if it didn't happen already and I don't remember it happening, yeah. uh, the purchase of the Pittsburgh Penguins by John Henry and company. So who are they going to? I mean, Mario is staying on in a leadership capacity. Oh, OK. Yes. I forgot about Mario's influence. And we, we know how Mario has influenced um, other GMs to <laughs> run away, forego, forego the end of their season and and time with the Pittsburgh Penguins because they weren't allowed to actually make deals. General manage. Yes. Might have improved the team at the time. I don't know. I mean, Ron Hexall has been there a year and 11 days at this point. So is there a good reason to fire him? Not really. There's not a good reason to fire him when you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, who we thought were left for Dead. Dead. Yeah. Roadkill. And yet they are tied for first in the Metropolitan. Um, second in points percentage with a plus 34 goal difference. A goaltender who's actually playing like he was expected to three years ago. I mean, when they got rid of Flurry, it was because Jari was the next big thing and 
then all of a sudden Casey DeSmith came along and it was like, well, now maybe it's Casey. DeSmith. No, no, no. Jari is finally the guy they expected. So you can't get rid of Hextall based on performance. But if yeah. you're an ownership group who wants things their way, which yes. would be a hundred thousand percent the John Henry M.O. Um, Agreed. Yeah, it, it would not be surprising to see him added to the list of guys who are looking for something new uh, fairly soon. Maybe he can go run the Philadelphia Flyers. <gasps> That's an original thought. I bet no one has had that idea before. I bet I bet Philadelphia would not welcome that at all. No. Uh, one of the reasons we're talking GMs is because, <laughs> uh, according to the Twitterverse, um, in this case, uh, one of the sites I saw, or one of the tweets I saw it from was uh, by Bruin Stats. Don Sweeney, Boston Bruins GM, uh, his contract ends at the end of the year. Now, given the failed Tuca revival, given his amazing insistence that David Krejci is coming back, um, <laughs> given his failure Sorry, to I extend to <laughs> given his failure to extend Patrice Bergeron, um, given the really, really iffy nature uh, of the Bruins' defense as a whole, um, I I want to say that they don't have a single defenseman in the top in the top twenty in scoring, uh, and I know they have one of the lowest scoring defenses as a whole in the league. Is Ch- is the Hall of Famer still not in the top twenty among defensemen for scoring? I will look that up, but I want to say no, no, he's not. Oh, okay. I I honestly don't know, but it, with the way things are going, and I actually um, he is twenty second. Yeah, oh, scoring. getting closer. I don't think he was that close the last time we talked about his <sighs> predilection for scoring or lack thereof. Um. But yeah, his inability, I don't know what's going on with Patrice. Uh, The last injury that he had there and, you know, whether you want to believe it was a concussion or not, uh, they want to keep calling it. He had a laceration. Okay, fine. He could have had a cut in his head, but I'm thinking there was some sort of mild. uh, I mean, it's a cut. They bandage it up. I mean, how many times do these guys? go out with their face lacerated and they come back, you know, 20 minutes later, all stitched up. It it was his head. I'm thinking that it was more serious than just a laceration. I suspect that they were being highly cautious um, because Bergeron usually doesn't. He's played with a collapsed lung. He's uh, played with broken ribs, broken with separated ribs. shoulders, with, Abdominal tears. Uh, what kind of condition was he in back in the playoff a couple of years ago? I, but I, I suspect just playing devil's advocate, if this was a cut that wasn't sealing very well and he, you know, he put the helmet on and it starts bleeding again instantly because of it being rubbed or whatever, I can see where you're not allowed to, you know, actively bleed on the ice, I can see them keeping him out of a game or two because of that while it healed. Um, 
he's also not particularly young anymore. So yes, the caution, uh, the caution is worth it. Um, and even if there weren't active signs of concussion, I, I, I think that the team, given how cautious they overall are, um, is probably going to hold him out and triple check everything given his concussion history. Ah, see, there's that word again. Honestly, I think that, honestly, I believe that's what it is. Um, I don't know. That was my first impression upon seeing the injury, upon seeing um, Sidney Crosby not slew-footing him and and not getting a three-game suspension. Um, But, yeah, we're talking about GMs, and I'm getting off track here. I apologize. No, no, no. Um, Here's one of the other interesting things that leads me to the belief that there may well be a new GM in Boston uh, when the season opens next year. Mm-hmm. Last night, or recent audio from Bruce Cassidy, who's a pretty laid-back guy, he's talking about the need for uh, the Bruins' defense as a whole and the players as a whole to stop being nice guys and be a little bit meaner. Um, uh, He actually said, (laughs) we've got too many nice guys and we need a couple of guys to be pricks. And that's that's shocking coming. Not for anything, but when I saw that last night, when I saw that last night, I was stunned, flabbergasted, a little bit just because, Okay, not so much the language. I, you know, he's like, we got a lot of nice guys, and you know, they need to be pricks sometimes. Okay, fine, be prickly. I get it. I mean, there's still. I think that some of them are prickly already. I don't think they need more encouragement to be prickly. I think they already are. They need to do it consistently, though. Yeah. I mean, there are games when Nick Foligno completely disappears. Trent Frederick is at least consistent about playing assertively. Uh, Colin Clifton is consistent about playing assertively. And the rest of them? Eh. I mean, Brandon Carlo, from the, what we saw in that first development camp after he was drafted in 2015, we assumed he was going to be a 200 penalty man minute. Uh, 200 penalty, uh, minute penalty man. And now, what do we see? Not much. He's not very physical. I mean, <clears throat> Derek Forbert has more penalty minutes. Yeah. Trent Frederick has played less games and has a third more penalty minutes. Um, Connor Clifton has more penalty minutes. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's something to be said about a lack of brashness, aggressiveness, grit, whatever you want to call it. I, do I mean, Brad Marchand as your leading penalty uh, minutes <laughs> at five nine and a hundred and whatever. Okay, let's go five nine one eighty. I don't think okay, that's right. Okay, Patrice Bergeron actually has more penalty minutes than Brandon Carlo. Patrice Bergeron. Brandon Carlo is. Uh, it, maybe the comment was directed at Brandon. I don't know. 
It, mm. it wasn't just him, though, because Mike Riley has all Mike Riley has 12 penalty minutes in 43 games. And he plays he plays a steady number of minutes. OK, 12. Maybe they're going after the Lady Bing. And the only way to get that is to not get penalty minutes because it's for gentlemanly play. So maybe well, they're uh, trying to get themselves some sort of hardware and, and the Lady Bing is the easiest one to get if you just don't get penalty. Just don't get penalties. They're doing a good job of that then. It was it was very it was it was a very surprising comment, yes. And I have to agree with Jack on the fact that I too am tired of guys getting upset about being hit legally. Oh, Jack and Brick are that, that Connor Clifton hit completely and the and the guy and Parker Kelly loses it. I mean, seriously, what are you losing it? It's a legal hit. The guy didn't try to take you out, he didn't raise his shoulder, he didn't leave his skates, he didn't he didn't try to knock your head off. It was a hit. Get over it. As Jack said, put your big boy pants on. <laughs> this is hockey. It's the NHL. If you can't handle it, don't play. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> and it's that simple. I mean, I this isn't unfortunately a new phenomenon. I remember even back after the full season lost uh, in two thousand five that we were hearing this problem, you know, clean open ice hit, whether it was a hip check or a shoulder check and guys would get all sorts of prickly and start fights. And you know what? Grow a set dudes. (laughs) Grow a set or go play tennis. So yeah, I don't, I don't much see, the sad part is I do think that Sweeney's tenure at I don't know, it's just a bad feeling I get, but you're absolutely right. I think that there should be There needs to be a uh a new broom mentality applied to the upper reaches of this team. And I'm not saying just Sweeney. I'm saying Sweeney and Neely and probably the head coach. Uh, you know. Do I expect it to happen? I don't know. The fact that he hasn't been renewed yet and the Bruins are just barely in a playoff spot. I mean, they're 21st in scoring in the mm-hmm. league. Yeah. 21st. 21st. Um, that's pretty neat. Yeah. That's not a good sign for playoff outcomes. Even with Jeremy Swayman playing lights out hockey. But obviously if if Sweeney is not going to be coming back, someone new needs to come in and replace him. Okay. There's a couple of names. I mean, I think your, your favorite is one of the more obvious ones. Um, I'm sure he's obvious and I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not picking him because he's obvious. I'm picking him because Anybody can do anybody who can do what he did deserves another, budget, yeah. deserves another option deserves another opportunity with a budget that isn't quite as strained, uh yes. non existent. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and, and I'm obviously talking about uh, 
John Chaka. Absolutely. And 32 I, years old. 32 years old means with only one with only one stop as a general manager and a well-regarded general manager in that time, it means that you can probably hold on to him for 10 or 12 years if he's doing well. That's a long, long time in hockey. That's two or three general manager tenures uh, when you come right down to it. Um, but there are, other, there are other options. Um, the two they- that... Come to mind for me. Yeah. One the organization is already familiar with, uh, Jim Benning. He's the former Canucks general manager who has previously been an assistant GM uh, here in Boston. Um, I think having drafted some really good players into the NHL uh, while he was out there, I don't know that his trades were always the best, but he drafted some really quality players consistently during his tenure. Okay. Um, I think that's that and some familiarity with the team as a whole gives him an inside shot. Does, uh, does what happened in Vancouver play against him though? In some ways, yes, because the team didn't, the team is missing an element of what was that uh, word that Berkey used? Um, <laughs> And that same sort of, not necessarily swagger, but um, did you? It's not swagger. They're just missing. I don't they're know. Missing, they're missing just a little bit of attitude. It's not the completely right word. Mm-hmm. But that channeled aggression, I guess, is the best way to describe it, um, because. I can't look at Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes and uh, the re- and the rest of their youngsters and say, yep, that's a guy who that is the next Jamie. That is the next Landeskog. If someone goes after anyone on his team, that guy is going straight th- straight at him and through anyone who gets in his way. Um, I-, I can't look at any of those guys and say, oh, that's the next Drew Doughty on that team. Um, playoffs come and he is going to own entire games all by himself. Uh, but there's still so many good pieces there. I think that they, the Benning's biggest failure was finding the right complementary pieces, uh, to his super, to his highly skilled players. Okay. Uh, the other one is probably the most controversial or one of the most controversial names I could drop. But I still think it's a good piece if he's willing to do it and you Mike, believe and you have the confidence. Mike Miller. Do <laughs> I don't think Milbury would be interested in being a general manager. No, I don't think so exactly. either. I'm just I'm just I was trying to guess who you're controversial. I was thinking controversial people. And Milbury it's, was the first one that came to mind, especially since he's in the news about commenting on Bergeron. So he's on my mind. Um, I hadn't seen the Bergeron comments. I'll have to look for them later. But uh, this one is this is more going to be controversial at the fan level. Oh, um, because lots of them, lots of people have some 
very, very unpleasant memories of games involving this man. I am, of course, talking about Patrick Roy. Yes. Wow. Okay, that uh, <laughs> Montreal Canadiens goaltending yeah. legend, head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, Patrick Roy, as general manager of the Boston Bruins. Attitude. Fire. Well, attitude's not going to be a problem. Fire is not going to be a problem. Drive. Um, hockey knowledge. <laughs> and slight, I think. Slight craziness. Um, that's okay, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, on the bench. On the bench. Look, we see Cam I, I, think the G- I think the GM needs to be a little bit more level-headed. Does he? I'm not saying he has to be completely, you know, unemotional or, or unfeeling, but I think that he needs to be, I think the G it's okay for the coach to be uh, crazy eyed and, and throw stuff. And I mean, they're on the ice they're They're, they're at the game. They're, they're visible. I think the GM needs to be a little bit more level headed, be able to make the deals unemotionally. I mean, I can't you can't say completely unfeeling or or like Patriots business like where they they're just willing to cut anybody and let them go. But you have to have some of that in you. And I don't know if Roy has that. I he he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And if not, go watch some video when he was head coach in Colorado. He wears his emotions as an entire suit of armor. Okay, but, there you go. But there's a difference between being ice level, involved with the uh, involved with the game as much as any coach can be, and directly able to affect the outcome of a game, and being 80 feet, 200 feet in the air in the uh, in the uh, suite, mm-hmm. and knowing that your job is to find the right players to complement this group and build it to that cup winning level. I think that his passion, uh, I think that his passion in the room, pressing the scouts for why each player is better or worse than the five other players in that same zone. When you're talking about the draft, when you're talking about uh, potential trades in and around the NHL, I think that that has the, has the potential to make him a very high level GM. I really do. And it's weird to me as a Boston Bruins fan to say, I want to be able to cheer for Patrick or (laughs) like you you might be asking what's, what's the phrase they use in in, in English might be a, a step too far. And I don't know if it's a step too care. far to ask for. I, I don't care either. I, I want to see them win. I want to see them succeed in the playoffs. I want to see them bring hardware home. I mean, just just for the giggles, can you imagine Patrick Ruiz walking into the alumni suite during a Bruins a Bruins Habs playoff game? As long I mean, as they on. as long as they have medical techni- emergency yeah. medical technicians ready to go for the people who. 
have sudden heart palpitations and other medical <laughs> issues because Patrick was walking into the owner's box or the president's box or the GM's box or the legend's suite or yeah, I, I, it, it's a tough sell. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's undoable. I think it's a tough sell. I don't know how. I don't know how the Jacobs family feels about bringing in. I mean, Bagulas don't care as long as they can fire him later. So, but I don't know how the I don't know how the Jacobs family is going to feel about bringing in a, a former arch rival. I mean. But, I mean, leaving do, aside the rivalry the, aspect, if, assuming it's possible in this case, mm-hmm. of the general managers available and who are young enough that you can ge- you can genuinely see them being healthy and driven, aware of analytics, uh, whether they're 100% an analytics guy or, you know, just take them into heavy consideration – and be able to give you 10 years because the Bruins really do not like changing general managers. No, this is true. I mean, just look at the history, although they should have hung on to Jeff Gordon and just saying, and now he's, Oh, he's in Montreal. Okay. So they're okay. Tanking former Bruins GM. So I guess we should be okay with Wah. Sure. I mean, Patrick Roy is 56 years old. If okay. you hire uh, his birthday is not till October. So if you hire him now, he could he could be your GM until he's 65. Easy. As long as he succeeds. OK. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to vote against it. Even though, you know, there's part of me that's telling me I should because I'm still He's seeing Patrick him with Blanc. a red, white, and blue blanc et rouge sweater on. But, oh, Jersey, you know, I'm sorry we had that seeing, discussion. It's not just seeing him in that jersey. I remember watching his last <laughs> game as a hat. I was it, watching him get no, his last His last game as a hab is the reason he didn't want to be a hab anymore because – the head coach, uh, who was it? Was it Maurice at the time? Uh, I believe it was Paul Maurice, yeah. Left him out there, hung him out to dry. I mean, that was a game where he should have been pulled, and Maurice just let him take the abuse. Which was and And, and Rual was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not playing here ever again. That's it. Get me out of town. I don't care where you send me. And that's the other part that would make it so fantastic. <laughs> Patrick Roy being able to stick it to the Montreal Canadiens after all these years as general manager of the Boston Bruins. Well, they're kind of a different level. I mean, right now, Gorton's got a Gorton's got a job ahead of him trying to rebuild that franchise. They've got some good young pieces, but. If they the were Bruins, at the same level, the they're only both... a year or so away from being back down there. Yeah, that's true. Their Bergeron defense retires. doesn't score. Patrice Bergeron is 37 or so years old. Brad Marchand is 30 and a lot. They don't have a number two center. 
Well, it depends on who you ask. And they don't have a number two center. It depends on who you ask. Don Sweeney's convinced that, that Krejci's coming back. So <laughs> Don Sweeney was also convinced that Tuka Rask coming back was a great idea. Yeah, how'd that end? <laughs> Quickly, thankfully. Uh, yes, I'm, I am grateful that Tuka realized that it wasn't in the cards. It <laughs> I do have one more GM name, unless you want to keep talking go. about Patrick Watt. Go, Watt. go, go. All right. Uh, and he just he just came available. That's why I'm I'm bringing him up here now. Uh, he's current. He's 55 years old, so he's right around the same age. He's former GM of both the Vancouver Canucks. In fact, he took over after Berkey was uh, relieved. Yeah. Uh, he's also a former GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. His most recent position, which he was just relieved of, is assistant GM of the Anaheim Ducks. His name is Dave Nonis. Dave Nonis has been with the Ducks for seven seasons. Started yep. out as, hold on, I want to get this right. <clears throat> he started out as the, over the years, he's pro, he was a scout and consultant to former GM Bob Murray before being bumped up to an assistant role under then GM Bob Murray. So he knows scouting. He's been in the scouting position. He's been in the scouting position. He knows scouting. If you look at the way Anaheim has brought in the youngsters that are now on the ice, Dave Nonis had a part in that. And I'm sorry, but Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Trevor Zegris, Jamie Drysdale, uh, so I think he's got somewhat of a resume here. And, oh, wait, wasn't the Bruins farm system like 23rd? Um, I don't think it was quite that high, but, yeah, it's terrible. 27th, something like that. It, so this guy knows scouting. He's been a GM. He's still – we're not talking about a 70 something here. We're not talking about uh, bringing in somebody who might be uh, less inclined to stick their head, you know, stick their neck out and make it make some kind of uh, not not willing to make the big moves. I think this guy, he's been a GM before. He knows his way around. He's worked with Brian. He, he, he took over for Brian Burke. I mean, somebody must have thought something of this guy. I think that this guy might be worth a shot. I I like the idea. Um, there's another guy who I think, think is worth talking about. Another guy I think worth talking about mm-hmm. is Chris McFarland. Uh, he's an assistant general manager with the Colorado Avalanche. He spent time as an assistant general manager with the Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, so roughly 10 years in that role, um, a couple of seasons or part-time, uh, he was also the general manager of the, of, uh, Columbus's AHL affiliate, uh, had spent a couple of years as director of hockey operations for the Jackets before becoming assistant general manager. Um, interesting, interesting guy, 51 years old, born in the Bronx. 
Um, I think that's another up and coming guy who's going to need to be talked about. I don't know if this is exactly his slot, but if you want to go with someone younger, more energetic, who's on a strong, strong, who's working for a strong, strong team right now and knows their general manager isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Well, I will say that the Denver Post seems to think somewhat highly of him. They put out an article uh, not so long ago that uh, it's titled Chris McFarland is Avalanche's Hidden Executive Gem. Correct. Sackick's right-hand man since 2015. I think you, I think you might get a little bit of fight if the if you tried to sign away from the Avalanche. This came out, this came out, this article came out October 17, 2020, so it's a bit dated. Yep. Uh, but Sackick's right-hand man became uh, been there since 2016. Vision of the coach and VP hockey operations needs to be perfectly aligned with that of the organization. We must also have a say in the decisions that impact the team's performance. These conditions are not currently met. That was when they replaced the former VP of Hockey Operation uh, and Patrick Waugh. And yeah, and then they brought in Bednar. And I, I can see McFarland being an interesting choice. I just I don't know how easy it would be to get him away from Colorado unless sure. you're Unless you're giving him the unless the opportunity to actually run his own franchise as opposed to being the right hand man. No, he's he's someone you'd have to get for someone to let him go or for the abs to let him go. It would have to be to a GM spot. They're not going to take him. Let him take a lateral move. Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying bring him here as an assistant. I'm saying bring him here as GM. But is that going to be enough to lure him away? Oh, I think so. I mean, okay. going to an original six team, getting your first general manager slot as a GM of an original six team, and getting it before you're 55, <laughs> sign me up twice. Um, he was also linked to the general manager's spot for the Pittsburgh Penguins before they went with Hextall. Um, so he's been, he's been interviewed here and there. And when... He's from the uh, when Nux, uh, Nux Smith, or Nux Smith's conduct put together their list of potential replacements for Jim Benning, he was on the list. Okay. Um, for the analytics lovers, um, there's always uh, my or Eric Toulouse, uh, Tulski as well. Uh, most recent, or as of the time this article was written, he was. VP of Hockey Management and Strategy for the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, personally, I can't see them letting him go uh, to someone in the conference, although at least they're not in the same division. Um, it's hilarious that the picture on the website is probably 10 years old, but hey. Eric um Previously served as VP of Hockey Management and Strategy. Uh, oh, he's an analytic. Yeah, like you said, he's oh, he's an, he's the analytics contributed he's, to NHLNumbers.com prior to launching his own website. Yeah, he's he's a high level hockey nerd. 
<laughs> like, I personally would like him better as a number two. Wait, to wait, wait. Yeah, in chemistry and physics from Harvard. Okay, yeah. so you got ties here. Harvard guy. Uh, P- PhD in chemistry from UC Berkeley. Two-year postdoctoral in naval re- at the Naval Research Lab in Washington, D.C. Worked in nanotech for 12 years. And now I, he's running numbers for the Carolina Hurricanes. Is this like a step down for him? <laughs> I suspect he's having more fun. And uh, I, yeah. I'm willing to bet he still gets called in to consult on other stuff. Um, <laughs> also... Just as a hypothetical, assuming that they could pry him out as for a lateral move, Patrick Roy with Eric Tulski as his number two. Is that a good balance? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I'm looking at the picture of Eric Tulski and thinking Patrick Roy would eat him for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But then again, this guy's dealt with DNA problems and DNA sequencing. And so, I mean, he just sit there and just out educate him or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's have a debate. Yeah. I don't know if Patrick was on this guy's level. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, he holds 17 U.S. patents, this guy, Tulski. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. And for my completely out there, but certainly reasonable pick. Go ahead. This is a guy who has built a program, Mm -hmm. raised it uh, from third, fourth tier to competing at the lower reaches of the top tier. Um, Has extensive NHL experience as a player. Worked, uh, is currently working for an NHL team. And, of course, does have Boston ties. Any guesses? I'm racking my brain. I thought that would have been Jim Benning. Um, Nope. Uh, Think Germany. Marco Germany. I thought we wanted Marco Sturm as head coach. He has been coaching. He's been been the assistant coach in. Can't do that to me. That's in true. L.A. Been the assistant Can't. coach in L.A. for four years. Does he have Does he have any kind of experience running the organization? I mean, I'm all I'm all for it. I was all for Remember him being head coach. Team? He was he was involved with the German Olympic team for several years as and running that. And he's 43 years old. Okay, if I'm all willing for, to I'm jump. All for young GMs. Heck, I, like I said, I want Chaka. He's like my first overall draft pick right there. But but I'm all for young GMs bringing a fresh fresh take. The the retreads are the ones that I I don't want to see them rolling Ray Shero in here and and oh, no. Jim Rutherford and no. You know, I don't want to see retreads rolling in. I want to see thinking outside. I guess that's what this list is all about. I want to see thinking outside the box. I want to see some youth. I want to see some vitality. I want to see somebody who's willing to go after JT Miller. Somebody who's willing to admit that David Krejci's not coming back. Yep. (laughs) 
and is going to do something about replacing that damn 2C position and get younger at the 1C. Uh, and unfortunately, yeah, Milbury, and I, I put the article so you could read it. It's actually part of a part of the Greg Hill show. But sure. The, but the quotes are up there to read it very. Uh, but basically, Milbury said if he were Bergeron's wife, he would advise she would he would advise Bergeron to retire. There's nothing left to prove. Uh, he's not wrong. He's done he's what wrong. he needs to in this league. He's proven he can be a good as, as good a two-way center as we've ever seen. I think the only thing that Bergeron really, 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 really would like, whether he's willing to admit it or not, is to either get, either get that fifth uh, trophy in that, in that certain category we all talk about. Oh, yeah. Or to pick up like a heart or the postseason. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he's ever going to get a heart. That's the only problem. I know. Uh, it's. <sighs> They're too willing to give the heart to. Oh, wait, Connor McDavid. It's that one is purely points and it's depressing. It's genuinely depressing because it it eliminates all of the all of the defensemen who have carried their teams. Um, it almost certainly eliminates goal. It practically eliminates goaltenders, although they we've seen one or two of them win it. But they had to do everything in order to get it, like legitimately everything. Um, but yeah, if Patrice Bergeron decides to retire, I will be heartbroken as a fan. Oh yes, uh, of him on the ice, and absolutely delighted that he has the good sense to go off and play with his kids while he can still remember all of their names and get out of bed without assistance. Like Milbury says, it's tough to put the game down and put it behind you. You know. What do you, when you get to be 35, 36, whatever the heck he is now, every year is a reevaluation process. What is this, year 19 for him? It's yeah. a physical league, a taxing league. Certainly money's not an issue for him anymore. I just think I would be worried about him if I were his agent. I'd be advising him this might be a good time to step back. But as I said, it's hard to give up. It's hard to give as up. As his agent... <sighs> As his agent, you know, I I would have a hard time saying no to my five percent of his next seven or eight million dollar contract. Um, <laughs> I, just being honest, I let's see. Bergeron is going to hit twelve hundred games sometime this season. He's twelve games away from that. He's got one hundred and sixty playoff games, so I don't think he's going to hit the 200 playoff game mark. In fact, that would take at least three three solid, well, most likely three solid postseason runs uh, at, you know, 12 games apiece, 13 games apiece. Yeah. Or a cup run and then another deep run, which I'm not saying he doesn't have the drive to want to keep playing that long, but... If he were to win a cup this year or next year, walking away when you're when you've got the cup and maybe the Con Smythe, what better what better thing? I mean, he's won at World Juniors, he's won at the Olympics, he's won in the NHL, okay. um, he's won a Messier, four Selkies, a King Clancy, 
Um, <laughs> didn't he win a Masterton as well? Um, I thought so. It, no, wait. Masterton it, is what? Comeback play? Is that like comeback play? Comeback, perseverance, dedication to the game. They they change how they describe it every two or three years. But yeah. Okay. Um, I never want to see him nominated for that one again, by the way. No. According to WEI, there's an article from the 15th, and this might sway the decision a little bit, but according to this, written by Scott McLaughlin, um, Patrice Bergeron is running away in Selkie Trophy race. Uh, I hope Barring so. something crazy, he, you know, he's won the award four times in six years. Barring something crazy, Bergeron looks to be a lock once again, increasingly running the runaway winner. Uh, latest check-in with with some professional hockey writers, association voters. Bergeron was listed. Uh, Wyshynski found that Bergeron was listed first on a majority of the ballots for the Selkie, despite the best efforts of some voters to find an alternative. I, I mean, that's wrong putting Bergeron again, but his numbers are too good, one voter told him. Um Dom Lucision has Bergeron as a landslide winner in his latest numbers based awards watch. Uh, Good. The, the deeper you dive, the stronger Selkie case gets. Evolving hockey has him first among all forwards in defensive value. That 5.7 goals above replacement, a full goal better than second place Austin Matthews. Uh, Bergeron is first in Corsi 4 percentage. If you want advanced stats, he's, uh, he's first in Corsi 4, expected goals for Corsi against, and expected goals per. Uh, the shot so what you're Corsi saying. numbers are already the best of his already remarkable career. And he also leads the NHL in face-offs and face-off percentage, face-offs 1 and face-off percentage. So I'm sure, regardless of what he says... I'm sure that Bergeron pays attention to those smart statistics at Corsi's and yeah, any and player who said uh, the players that all sit there and say, I don't pay attention to any of that. I don't hear the news. I don't hear the report. I, you know, I don't listen They're to the full of yeah. stuff. Yeah. But if they're already the best of his career this year, which I'm willing to believe because the two COVID shortened seasons had to have allowed him to heal up and still and yet still have the full training cycle with just a little bit more rest thrown in. Yeah. I honestly think that incline that's going to incline him to try for two more years, like a two another two year contract. Like if his numbers haven't peaked yet at this age, how could he not be tempted if he's healthy to go one more time? especially if there's hope that the team is going to be an actual contender, um, grab, grab a cup. Or all those, all those like, advanced stats are out of 400 forwards who have played at least 200 five-on-five minutes this season. Yeah. So and it's not like it's a small sample size. We're talking a we're bulk. Talking, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, 200 minutes is... Uh, that's at least 12 games for the average uh, first or second line center. Um, No, that's yeah. Say that even if you say they and not all forwards play 20 minutes a night, but yeah. 
200 but, minutes, 10 games, 12 games. Yeah, somewhere in there. But the the point being Bergeron will be 37 come July. If he win, if he wins his fifth Selkie, I I'd love to see him come back. Maybe he maybe he gets invigorated by it. But if he gets the fifth Selkie, I can see him turning around and saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. And again, I, I can't blame him. I won't blame him. And anyone who does, just don't let me hear it. Um, yeah. Speaking of walking away, mm-hmm. um, Tyler Tumina, uh, Tumania, rather, uh, has is ending her tenure as commissioner of the Professional Hockey Federation. Um, I've seen multiple reports on this. Um, some say she resigned. Some say that she's walking out on her terms, whatever that means. Um, some have said it's a contract non-renewal. Um, given that the, that the league is expanding, I mean, it added teams this year. They're expecting to add a Montreal team and another U.S. team next season. Mm-hmm. Given the huge investment that they that she was part of getting that allowed them to double their salary cap this year, um, is this a worry? Is this something that the league should worry about? Because it seems to me, and I might just be being a little bit paranoid, it seems to me there's some sort of brain drain going on. Uh, because we've seen, you know, Cammy Granado get taken first to the the Kraken, the Kraken, and then up to Vancouver. And now she's a, what assistant GM in Vancouver. Yep. I mean, uh, nice, nice, late, nice little promotion from in the scouting department. I thought she was head of scouting at Seattle. She was only in yeah. the scouting department. Lake Bolden. Lake Bolden, who played uh, in the league, uh, is a coach. Uh, I'm sorry, a scout for the is a scout for the LA Kings. And now, uh, now their commissioner is gone and I couldn't find, I couldn't track it back down. So you can count this as a rumor. I want to say I saw her name linked to the Montreal Canadians at one point. This sort of brain drain is a little scary for a, what's still a fledgling league is the level of play in the league. Good. Yes, it is. But you have to keep your talent. And that means not just the players, but some of the coaches and a, high, and a decent amount of the executives, whether it be individual team executives or league executives, in order to maintain stability. I just – who, who takes I, I over mean, the job? It, it doesn't sound like they have any – And she was only in the position about two years because she came in as an interim. She got tagged with the, uh, the interim tag got bumped. And you're going to tell me that this person who suddenly is uh, not seeking a renewal of her contract. This is the same person who, like you said, under her watch, doubled salary cap, introduced 25 million new dollars in the system, comprehensive player benefit package, got the expansion teams 
clearly she is invested fully in the PHF and she's staying on until the end of the playoffs. There has to be something drawing her away that. (sighs) I hope for her sake that what's in this Wyshynski article over at uh, ESPN is true. Um, All of this is from a source and not directly from her. Um, According to the article, a source told ESPN that it was her decision, her terms, and clarified that she was not leaving for another professional opportunity. So if she's leaving to spend more time with her family, um, go on some sort of world, uh, some sort of world travel tour or something along those lines. That's one thing. As long as she goes and does it for at least a couple of months when the season's over. But if she goes immediately to work for another hockey organization or. Or something outside hockey. I think she's burning bridges. Is it her right to do it? Absolutely. But if you tell someone something that you know is going to be made public. And whatever your reasons are, they're yours. But if you tell something, someone, if you tell someone something, you know, is going to be made public at that level. It has to be real or at least spinnable is real. Um, And that's a separate separate issue. Like if she's leaving because she needs to go take care of her family. Awesome. Family is first. It needs to be first. And I I hope uh, I hope everything is as good as can be now and when you're when you're ready to go back to work if she's actually leaving to go work for uh, a men's team or whatever else in the professional world i think people are going to be a lot more cautious about working with her in the future and that's really all i have to say i think it's i think it's somewhat surprising to see a person so linked to the growth is it of the league? Just there's only, there's only one other thing that I've seen that makes me question what's going on in the PHF. And I, Alex Sinatra, mm-hmm. the executive director for the PHF Players Association, resigned the position less than a month into taking the job. And now the commissioner of the PHF is calling it a day. After all of the work that she's put in, I I don't know if that, I don't know if Alex Sinatra resigning has anything to do with, but it it just, there needs to be a deeper dive. And yeah, is she burning bridges that she can't repair? But is there something else going on in the PHF that you've got the head of the Players Association and the commissioner of the league both calling it quits at the end of the season? Or actually, Alex Sinatra resigned. She's done. And too many is staying on until the end of the season, but then she's done. So your two key figures, your two leaders on opposing sides, uh, well, during contract negotiations, anyway, <laughs> CBA are both done, and you're going to have new new heads on both sides. Uh yeah, that's a 
That's startling in a number of ways. I mean, the, the PHF is the Isobel Cup's going to be televised on 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 ESPN. Partly I mean, because of her. Uh, uh, yeah. To me, to me, I'm so bad with names. I just I I, I don't get it. Uh, I wish there was more information about why she was doing it. I mean, obviously, she's not obliged to tell us at all, but. I think that that does create uh, nature abhors a vacuum and the vacuum this point is information and people are going to start filling it with what their own opinion is. Oh yeah. And it's probably not going to be good. Um, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, um, on your, on your list of potential NHL head coaches or I guess assistant coaches, um, if you don't already have this name, uh, I have a really, really big question for you that I've managed to sum down or managed to cram down into four characters, three letters and a piece of punctuation. Why? Greg Carvel. Greg <laughs> Carvel. Have I heard of this head coach oh, wait, I of have. the UMass Minutemen? Greg Carvel is the former coach of St. Lawrence, Greg Carvel, in eight seasons as a uh, as a college head coach, has yet to fail to make it into the postseason. Well, two years in a row, gets to the quarterfinals in St. Lawrence. The second two years, he gets to the semis. Leaves St. Lawrence with a... 72, 63, and 15 record, 530 win percentage. Yep. Goes to UMass where, okay, he makes it to the Hockey East opening round. Then the quarters. Oh, wait. Wait for it. Runner-up at the NCAA tournament. And then after canceling the season due to uh, circumstances beyond their control, they come back and win the damn thing. Yep. (laughs) And he has a 553 win percentage, 94, 75, and 10. And <laughs> as far as familiarity with the NHL goes, scouting coordinator for the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim from 99 to 03, um, Mighty Ducks of Anaheim assistant from 03 to 04, um, Ottawa Senators assistant from 05 uh, to 2011, mm-hmm. and then uh, – so yes, he's got that NHL pedigree as a play as a coach. Um, should we be, should we be considering him for a GM job? I mean, he was director of hockey operations for the Lowell Lock Monsters. It's you know people have said and scouting things and scouting coordinator. We should put him on the short list for GM too, and head coach. Given how much scouting and recruiting head coaches at the college level do. I, I just don't want to see It's him not pulling. a terrible suggestion. I don't want to see him pulling a Dave Tippett with Arizona trying to do both jobs. <sighs> After Chaka left, they had Tippett run doing both GM duties and head coaching duties. Uh, not a good look. You can't look do both. The, look at the ownership out there. I don't know that there's... Even as little as I think of two other ownership groups in the league, 
I don't think that there's any other ownership group that bad. No, even the Pagulas, at least, you know, I don't know that they're, at least the Pagulas pay their bills, I guess. They fire a lot of people, but at least they pay their bills. Just saying. Yeah, paying your bills (laughs) is sort of one of those things you're expected to do when you have a lot of money. Could be be a reason why they're looking for a new home. (laughs) Could be a reason why they're going to be playing in a 5,000-seat arena for three or three or more years. Well, if they can get the University of Arizona to, you know, increase the the capacity of their their, their college stadium, and yeah, sure. Um. So yes, I, Ray Carvel. I think that this guy is definitely coach worthy. We were saying this about the uh, head coach over at UMass Lowell a couple of years ago too. Uh, we did, and I don't. Honestly, off the top of my head, remember where he is at the moment. I think he's still there, actually. I don't think I don't recall him being relieved of duties or poached anywhere. Um, We're not going to talk about the local guy who had his suspension uh, reviewed, but we're going to (laughs) we're going to talk about the uh, Department of Player Safety actually getting one right for a change. Um, Austin Watson, who attempted to move Jack Akon's head uh, in the first of the two games they played in the last 10 days. Well, he couldn't have been suspended. suspended. He couldn't have been suspended. I saw Austin Watson playing in the game last night. Uh, no, this was from in the first game. Um, yes, but the first game was, what, a week ago? Yes. He got two games. Oh, he only gets two games. Okay. Two games, is, yeah. Is it because Sean is like a not-everyday NHL player or something? Um, it's because his na- there's no number 46 on the back of his jersey, and he's about five foot seven. 46? David Krejci? 64, rather. 63? 60. I need more <laughs> coffee this morning. Clearly. <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but you got the wrong number there. 64. <sighs> bad, bad, no, bad. I don't think anybody wears 64. Oh, wait a minute. Is that a Sean's number? It, it, no, he's 54, which is a hilarious juxtaposition. But it was the last guy who wore 54. Um, uh, yeah, Adam McQuaid, hello. Yeah, Darth Quader. Darth Quader, 54. Jack um, Not quite but, the same size. <laughs> not quite. And not quite the same um, on-ice personality. Yes, this is true. But this was a clearly suspendable intent to injure. Reckless play. And hold on if you've heard this before. Okay, holding on. There's a new Zach Hyman in Toronto. A Or I should say a new new Zach Hyman in Toronto. Because remember, in the offseason, they brought in Nick Ritchie to replace Zach Hyman. Well, they just traded Nick Ritchie. No, they didn't. Why would they want to do that? Because they found a new new Zach Hyman. And his name is, uh, well, their names are Dezingle and Labushkin. And they are absolutely. Isn't Labushkin a defenseman? Details, details. And Labushkin has exactly one goal in his 90 or so NHL games. I'm sure that's a fitting replacement for 
Zach Hyman, right? Well, they they thought Nick Ritchie was a, a great replacement for Zach Hyman, and they're shipping him out of town. So I think the key element here is that they can't find a replacement for Zach Hyman. Whether it's I'm I'm personally baffled by this. You know, you have a great young player who's, if not in the top twenty or not in the top ten percent of the league, certainly you can make strong arguments for being in that next ten percent. And wait, isn't Zach Hyman like thirty five, thirty six years old? We were talking about bringing him in as a potential option for two C or or at least to fight for the role or the position. He was practicing here in 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 Warrior Zach Hyman's twenty nine. Uh, I think you're thinking of. Um, oh, I'm thinking of. Yeah, I know who it is. He went. He ended up signing with St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Okay, Zach Hyman still can't replace Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman, who this season has 17 goals, 14 points for 30 or 14 assists for 31 in 43, mm-hmm. um, which is just two points off of his pace for last year uh, with two more goals. Oh. And getting goals, given that you're also playing with uh, those two slightly underpaid forwards in Edmonton is is a pretty neat thing. You know, that McDavid, whatever his name is, and Leon, whoever, the one who the press really, really likes. Uh-huh. He's actually their third leading goal scorer. So what you're saying is Dezingle <clears throat> is not that, and Nick Ritchie was not that. And Labushkin is definitely not that, oh, and they're not going to get there. <laughs> also, I don't see this being the needle pusher uh, for their defense that gets them over the hump. That, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Was this a was this a, a a need to fill the Zach Hyman shoes, or are they trying to do something historic here and actually like play defense? What? Yeah, well, they don't do that, so. We joke that there's no D in the queue. There's no D in the Leafs. This is very true. I agree. I don't understand why. Uh, You would think that at some point, a general manager of Kyle Dubas's expansive knowledge would, would realize that Defense wins championships, and maybe they should try it. No, 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 hell, no, no. Hell, defense, out. defense wins second. Defense wins first round matchups. That's cold. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that's. Is that prickly enough? By the way, that might be prickly enough. I'm very proud <laughs> of you. Yes. Uh. Cassidy will have you skating on the second line in no time. Spectacular. So Montreal, who is uh, in the midst of a rebuild, um, is linked to moving 80% of their roster. Apparently everyone not named Brendan Gallagher and Josh Anderson. Um, Wait, wait, wait. What about Nick Suzuki and and Cole Caulfield? I certainly hope that they're on the 
would uh, on the do not move list, but I wouldn't put it past Montreal to be deeply engaged and dumb. Um, the reason I, the thing is though it's Gorton now it's not Bergevin. Gorton actually it's still Montreal, and I I think that ownership probably plays a bigger part than we're led to believe in Montreal. Um, I'm not saying that it's as bad as the Islanders ownership was when Milbury was GM. Um, and I don't think it's as intrusive as even the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, with Mario at the helm. But I think that there's the voice of, of ownership is definitely heard. And more often than just a couple of times a year to update, to get updates on the numbers. But um, Hoffman, uh, according to the Gazette article, Hoffman, Druin, Dvorak are on the would like to move list, which theoretically means is see most of a season too late. The Boston Bruins, either directly or through some third party, three some three way trade could actually go get Christian Dvorak if they actually have the good sense to do so. Now, yeah, okay, wait, okay, wait, stop, wait. I believe somebody vaguely resembling us. Yeah. uh, Back in those summer months, like, you know, June, July, August, when we knew that, we knew that, that, that Krejci wasn't coming back, said that they needed to acquire some guy named Dvorak. Same guy. Because yeah. he was the he was the best available option at the time. And oh wait, he ended up going to it's the same guy, right? Same guy, yes. Very same good. guy. So now we have another chance and you really think that they're going to rectify an earlier mistake and acquire him at the deadline. Going to or should? Well, <laughs> If they don't get my guy, <laughs> I can see them getting Dvorak. But I should, yes. I completely agree. Should is a yes. Will they? Will they? No. I don't know if I trust the You upstairs. don't trust the swingers? Yeah. I, 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 this isn't a, a, you know, in Belichick we trust situation. Or Belichick I, I, actually won stuff. I I. Don't I don't have I don't have faith in him that he you know he surprises us once in a while now and again and I mean last year Taylor Hall yeah great move not an everyday occurrence uh, arguably his best trade even and it's worth conject uh, it's worth conjecture that it's his only good trade but. <laughs> Uh, well, the, and you didn't hear me mention any others, did you? I I can't think of any, but we'll go over those uh, either at the postmortem for the season and his tenure, or <laughs> sooner. The postmortem of the season and his tenure. Is there like some? Did I hear some hope in that statement? Um. Yes. Or okay. as uh, Paulie Heyman uh, calls it. I don't make predictions. I make spoilers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the Canadians are ready to deal, just not anybody you want or anybody that 
No, no, no. I would take Dvorak as a number two because he's better than anyone else not named Bergeron at center on the team. Okay. Um, Washington, uh, Sammy Sibler reports that goaltender Ilya Samsonov has been uh, queried about or cites interest uh, from from the Habs uh, that they apparently reached out and went so far as to reach out to uh, the Caps on him. Really? Um, interesting. I mean, Samsonov uh, is definitely a good young goaltender. Um, not 100% consistent, but really that's a difficult thing to acquire uh, even in a normal NHL season. Um, in the last two years have been anything but normal. Uh, so I'm, I'm more interested in what he does the rest of this year than I, than I really am in what he did last year or the year before. It wouldn't surprise me. It, it doesn't surprise me as it's Jeff Gordon to reach out and just kind of, you know, stick his toe in the water, figure out which way the, the, which way the, the waves are, are going. You know, I, I get that. I mean, he does still have Caden Primo in the system unless he's not seen unless he's seen enough to convince him that Caden's not going to be the next up next guy up. And and if you look at Caden's numbers this season, I mean, he's been up and down. Well, it hasn't it hasn't been. But then again, you look at the team in front of him and it's garbage. Exactly. So how can you evaluate any goaltending on the basis of what is going on in front of them. I mean, you, you just, you just acquired Andrew Hammond, the Hamburglar. A uh, guy who went four, four, four years without playing in the NHL. Four. Four years four. is actually considered a good NHL career. A good NHL career, and he's had that long since his last NHL game. The mind boggles. I mean, their their injured reserve list is ridiculous. A full roster. It's Drew, as bad as Philadelphia's was, or very nearly. Druin, Dvorak, Chara, Savard, Joel Edmondson, Jake Allen, Tyler Pitlick, who they just acquired, and Matthew Perot. I mean... $26 million yeah. in those names. I mean, we all know Shea Weber, probably not coming back, but he's on long-term IR. Uh, Carey Price still listed as the in the NHL Player Assistance Program. Uh, not sure what's going on with that or if he's going to come back or if he's just kind of using it as a take-a-season-off type of deal. I, I'm not sure what's going on there. But your number one goalie, Jake Allen, is on that list. You're down to Montembeau. You bring in Hammond so that you can leave Caden Primo down in the minors, which I think is the best move that they could make. Let Caden play as much hockey as he can in the minors and bring him back up when you actually have a defense that plays in front of him. I don't it, – it, this is – this team is just mm. – yeah. Um, JT Miller, um, it's believed 
it's believed that Canucks management doesn't buy the notion that his trade value is higher now than it would be in the offseason. I think that's a little bit uh They don't believe suspicious. his trade wait, they don't believe his trade value is higher now? That's according to Pierre Lebrun's uh TSN article. Um Okay. And they also think that they could they might be able to sign him in the offseason. And where does that uh, tie into the Tapoli trade? Well, according to Joe Haggerty of Boston Hockey Now, um, oh, he believes buddy. that the okay. it, definitely your buddy. No. <laughs> um, Tyler Tapoli, uh, that what the Habs received for Tyler Tapoli from the Flames, which was a 2022 first rounder, a 2024. Uh, fifth rounder and a bottom six forward Tyler Pitlick and as well as prospect forward Emil Heineman uh, yeah. um, sets the market price for Miller. He believes it would cost the Bruins a first rounder, an additional pick, winger Jake DeBrus and Jack Stadnika to land the Canucks forward. Really? Assume that other pick is a third rounder. Are you paying that? Or UFA? He's not a UFA. He's got another year of term. Oh, okay. So for a one-year rental. And the possibility of re-signing him here? And yes. keeping him on as your number one C? Because how much or, – or as a number two C until Patrice retires? Mm-hmm. The number one pick would be what, this year's? Yeah. Which we're not expecting this draft to be strong. Yeah. And it's going to be a pick around like 17 or anywhere from 17 to like 21, 22. Jake DeBrusque has already been asking. And Jake DeBrusque has already asked for uh, an exit strategy. Stunika is, I don't know if I'm so. Yeah. I wouldn't like it. And. It's not DeBrusque that I'm more worried about coming back to bite you in the butt, although I think his, I think he can play better than he's been allowed to this season. You think Sidnika? I'm, I, I'm more worried about Sidnika this year. What has he done? Improve. While playing with... In, improve in what way? <clears throat> he's, his, positionally, he's more sound. He's okay. not taking the stupid hooking penalties that he did... The first four times we saw him, he's physically stronger. His skating is better. His angles are better. Is he scoring yet? No. But look who he's playing with. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like the bottom six as grinders, uh, but like. Well, but why? If they don't think he's a, if they don't, if Boston doesn't think he's a grinder, why do they keep playing on uh, playing him in the bottom six position? Why um, not set, Why not touch. put him as a 2C and yeah. let him try? That was the whole point of the summer, was that we have the answer in-house. We don't need to get Dvorak. We don't need to get anybody yes. else who can play yes. center. Eric Holla. We can bring in widely Eric Holla. Holla was supposed two. to be a winger, not a center. Eric Holla is widely regarded as a, number two, as a viable number two center. In the NHL, just ask. Really, by whom? Um, people. Okay, that's very, very broad and generic. Do you have any way of 
making that more specific people uh people who have heard of hockey think that eric howla is a suit two is a two c obviously otherwise an original six franchise wouldn't be playing him there okay so the so the general manager of and the head coach of said original six team believe he's a two c yes outside of that franchise not so much He's a, well, I haven't pulled everyone. I mean, yes, Studnika has played nine games this season. He's got two assists. He's a minus two. I mean, this is the whole up and down thing and being on a taxi squad, this, that, and everything else. He needs to be. He needs to be some. He needs to be either one or the other where he can be consistent. And I think he's been too long in the minors to be using that as a, oh he needs to stay there and play as much as he can i would rather see him get like i would rather see them take Halla and put him on the third line put studnika between pasta and hall and say this is your spot for giving you five games every game after that is going to be one you earn put studnika between pasta and hall have top line be Bergeron, Marchand, and Smith? Whoever. Nah, Bergeron, Marchand, and Steen. Bergeron, Marchand, and DeBrosk. Bergeron, Marchand, and Bob Asenza. <laughs> you know. Hey. Goalie Bob. We don't make fun of him. <laughs> so, um, Sabres, Sabres, Sabres. Uh, Why? Kevin Syracuse a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days ago. Did the Pagulas fire somebody? No, amazingly. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> although if they if they could, they would probably fire. Um, they would probably fire a couple of Canadian officials, uh, border officials at this point. Oh. Because I think that that combined with their dreadful on ice product, um, because we've always heard and been told how many. How many hockey fans come across the border for the Sabres games? Dreadful on ice? Dreadful on ice? Yes. Dreadful. dreadful. Just dreadful, huh? Okay. Um, product. Um, has This is what it's done to their attendance. Get a start and read the numbers off one at a time, starting with the 11-12 season and moving towards today. Um, these are the attendance numbers, according to Kevin Syracuse. Um 18579 oh, 18579 and in the 21-22 season, 86-19 average attendance for the Buffalo Sabres. Yes, well, you have no Taylor Hall. You have no Jack Eichel. You have Jeff Skinner and Jeff Skinner playing <clears throat> basically not, by himself. Not so good hockey. Um, uh, yeah. Um you traded away who everybody thought was going to be the foundation, you know, or at least somebody to build around in Eichel. 
because he didn't want to be there anymore. And I get it. He didn't want to be there anymore. So Jeff Skinner is not playing terrible hockey. 36 points with 20 goals in 48 games. Really? Um, but if Tage Thompson, admittedly, who is not a terrible player, um, is your number one points producer, you're probably not a playoff team. Um, and he is. He's 37 points in 46 games. Six foot seven, 218 pounds. Yeah, big boy. Skinner, Stalin, uh, Ocpozo, Dylan Cousins, Olofsson. They got some youth. They acquired Alex Tuck from, from Vegas, which I think is uh, – I, I feel bad for Alex that was Tuck the, having to – That was one of the smartest moves that that office, front office has made in like five years. I feel bad for Alex Tuck, though. I mean, they still have Colin Miller there for some reason. Colin Miller, um, best defenseman in the NHL. Well, they they do still have Anders Bjork. They haven't managed to to trade him away yet. Um, Will Butcher is there. Well, basically. that's what happens when you're not good enough to stay in New Jersey. You get traded to Buffalo. Uh, Jack Quinn got to play two games there where he picked up two points and then they decided he was too good to stay on the roster. The only only goaltender with a winning, with a winning record is Craig Anderson. He's six and four in there in his 10 games with Buffalo. And he has a 917 save percentage. Again, we reiterate best bad team goaltender ever. I when I no, say there is this, no argument here ever. There is when no I say this, I legitimately mean, given his performance on truly terrible teams throughout his career, how many Vesnas Craig Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame three years after he retires. How many Vesnas would he have on a team with actual like talent? Defense? Talent. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> At least one. At least one. I mean, he carried the team. He carried that avalanche team into the playoffs uh, at least once while he was. Uh, yes, he carried the avalanche into the playoffs in that nine ten season. Nine seventeen save percentage then. Um, back is going to match his age soon enough. He's forty years old. For his career, he has a nine thirteen save percentage and a two point eight three goals against average. Have you seen some of the teams this man has played for? They're and awful. he has a nine thirteen save percentage. <laughs> They're awful. Um, and low frustration rate too. I mean, in six hundred and sixty two games with mostly terrible teams, he's only picked up fifty four penalty minutes, and that's having been government mule number one. Like. That avalanche season, he played 71 games, yep. 40, uh, 4,235 minutes. His second season with the Senators, 3,492 minutes. Um, another Senators season, 3,453 minutes. He's got 3,477 in the 15-16 season. 3,477 minutes. It's not like he's been the third string goaltender his whole career on bad teams. He's nope. been the number one guy and produced when he did. Heck, he's produced when he wasn't on a good team. 2018-19 season, he would have been, what, 38, 39 years old? Yeah, 
50 games. 50 games, 47 starts. 50 <laughs> the year before that, 58 games, 55 starts. I mean, 2015-16 season with Ottawa, 60 starts. This guy is, I mean, I talk about Cam Ward being the government mule. This guy is right up there with him. Oh, this along guy was with, better at it, though. I mean, along with along with Lundqvist, the three of them are, are like the triumvirate of government mule goaltenders. Okay, in that in that um, eighteen nineteen season where they had Guy Boucher and Mark Crawford as their head coaches mm-hmm. and won a total of twenty nine games, he was in net for seventeen of them. Anders Nilsson was in net for. 11 and then Mike McKenna picked up a win and three other goaltenders picked up losses. I just. (laughs) We say it, we say it all the time. This guy, this guy has my utmost respect, not just what he's gone through personally with his fam with his family issues, but professionally on the ice. This guy is just, uh, he's he is just I don't know level headedness personified. I mean he it just keeps going nine twenty four nine thirty five nine thirty one. I mean clearly this guy eighteen games with nine thirty nine save percentage twenty four. He loves games. hockey. Obviously he's still playing at forty <clears throat> years old, and he clearly just doesn't ever want to stop. I don't know what he's going to do when when NHL teams stop offering him contracts. I don't know if he's going to disappear to Europe for 3 or 4 years or I don't know if he'll I don't know if he'll take take his wife on that kind of a and they and that's where I mentioned the the the, the personal yes. family is his wife went through a serious battle and he was there that was the one time he stepped away. He was there with her for every step of the way. Uh, and our last step of the day is the bean pot. Ah, bean pot final. So the bean pot held every year, first two Mondays in February. The the final was Boston University against Northeastern. Northeastern was looking to win it for the fifth time in a row, if I'm not mistaken. And as I said last week, they've turned into a goaltending factory over there, having had Caden Primo, Devin Levy, and now this kid, T.J. Semptenfelter from New Jersey. Unfortunately, New, Jer- New Northeastern did lose one nothing. Somebody, unfortunately, has to lose those games. And, and Vinny Duplessis, the goalie for BU, was solid. He, he got the shutout. But Semptenfelter got what they call the Eberly Award for the best goaltender of the tournament. And they take the combined numbers of goals against and save percentage. T.J. Semptenfelter, freshman, 19 years old, fourth and six starts of this season for him. Stopped 69 of 71 shots, a 972 save percentage, fourth highest in bean pot history. As the fourth losing. highest in a 59-year tournament. Behind history. behind two BU goaltenders. Uh, the highest one being John Curry, if I got his name right. The second highest, Rick DiPietro, a name that everybody might know who follows hockey. Third highest was, oh, wait, 
an NU guy from a couple of years ago, Caden Primo, and now TJ Semptenfelter. 972 save percentage, goals against average of ridiculous. <laughs> and he Just, does this in a losing effort. And remember, this is a guy who was undrafted in his first season of eligibility, not ranked, basically not ranked by any major scouting service. And Northeastern, even though it's been a really good school uh, for hockey the last four or five years, mm-hmm. it's probably still not in the top 10 names when you think of hockey schools. No, and that, probably still outside that number. That's true. Uh, here in, I mean, here in New England, here in Massachusetts, in, in, in just in that Boston area, it's all about BUBC, Northeastern. And yeah, they've only came along more so recently than than in the past. But it's, they're there now. They're here. They're they're a lot of fun to watch. So the Eberly Award, and I apologize, not it's not in the Bean Potts history. It's in the it the Eberly Award was founded in 1974. Okay, so half so, of the league's, or actually still over half of the league's history, <laughs> of the uh, tournament's history, rather. So since 1974, the fourth highest save percentage. I I'm sorry. The, 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 <clears throat> how this kid hasn't got himself a look and congratulations to Boston university. I don't want to undersell that they played a hell of a game, both teams, very defensive, very physical game. It was fun to watch. If you haven't watched college hockey, the bean pot is certainly a jumping on point because it's, they can be physical. It's high quality hockey. It's high quality goaltending. Northeastern alone has eight, Eight. The roster is only like 24, 27 players long. Yep. Northeastern alone has eight draft NHL draftees on their roster. Eight. And they're probably the lowest. Well, Harvard may be lower, but that's BC and BU are definitely higher. I mean, you, you, you uh, talk about guys like you got uh, Trevor Kuntar, you got uh, on B on BU. And I'm, oh, wait, what's his name? The goaltender, Drew Camesso. Played right. in the Olympics. I mean, that's why Vinny Duplessis was in that. I'm, but again. the other element, uh, the other element that makes this tournament special more than any standard regular season game should be the fans. You oh, can't yes. go to a beanpot game and not come away with some appreciation for the passion these students have for their team. And it's all four teams. Doesn't matter which one your favorite is. The Harvard kids are loud and just as loud and rowdy at the games as BC or Northeastern. Um, BU's team, BU's uh, band and uh, fan section is never less than fully intense. Anybody who anybody who has the impression that the Harvard team would be a bunch of the, the Harvard fans would be a bunch of stuffed shirts and they're going to sit there in their shirt. No, 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 no. Get that image out of your head. No, no. (laughs) This is the bean pot is a hockey fans tournament. Oh 
it prices is. are reasonable for tickets. Absolutely anyone who's interested in hockey, whether you're a beginner, you want your kids to see what hockey looks like at a reasonably high level, um, or you're a as passionate a fan as me and Chris, and you're going to be in the Boston area in that first two Mondays uh, in February, get your butt to the bean pot. And if, if you can't make the first two Mondays, go the first two Tuesdays, the women's bean pot, just as just as raucous, just as uh, got to watch the, the some of the women's bean pot at uh, just as entertaining the talent level again, through the roof, goaltending, high quality. There's going to be a lot of these young ladies playing in the PHF at some point. And this year's women's tournament winners were Harvard, um, which I believe is a slight departure from uh, last year. Mm -hmm. But never, ever, ever underestimate what this tournament means to players in this area. you know, there. Are, I'm sure that there are guys who love their teams in UMass Lowell, UMass Amherst, uh, UVM, who, if they grew up actually in the Boston area and were told they were guaranteed to play in the Bean Pot, would transfer schools in a skinny minute. Just, just a couple of these since 2000. Just a couple of names on this list that won the Eberly Award: Caden Primo, heard of him? Mm-hmm. Some kid named Jake Ottinger. Won it in 17. Uh, some kid named Thatcher Demko. Tell me if you haven't heard this name in 2014. Yeah. Parker Milner in, in, for BC. Nope. Um, oh, wait. And then you go back to 06. Uh, I mean, there's other names in here, but I don't recognize some of them. But, yeah, you got Corey Schneider in 06. <laughs> Scott Clemenson. played in the in NHL uh, Stanley Cup Finals. Scott Clemenson in 2001. Rick DiPietro in 2000. I, it's not like these names. It's not like the 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 names on this list are unheard of. And now you can add to it T.J. Semptonfelter. And I'm just wondering at some point if somebody's not going to give him an invite somewhere. He's if he doesn't get drafted this year at the if he does not get drafted at the at the draft in Montreal, there is a failure in 32 NHL scouting departments. I'm not saying you need to go out and spend a third or fourth round pick on him, but if you let the fifth round go by and he's still there and you haven't tossed uh, and you and you don't draft him there, you should clean out your office. Yeah. I'd be inclined to agree. You got to at least give this kid a look. Because he's probably going to spend three more years at Northeastern, which means you don't have to worry about where he's going to be playing uh, during that time, you don't have to worry about getting him onto your NHL roster or your AHL roster. Let him go play at Northeastern. Keep in contact with him. You know, send the scouts and the assistant coaches out to keep him tuned up and in tune with what's going on with your team. But no. Yeah. And that last thing before we sign off, real quick. Head coach of UMass Lowell, Norm Bazin, been there ten years. Yep. Uh Division one national coach of the year in 12, 13, three time hockey East coach of the year, New England coach of the year in 11 and 12, two time NESEAC coach of the year in 2009, 10 and 2010, 11. 
So, um, yeah, when we were talking about him a couple of years ago as being a possibility in the NHL, we weren't kidding. And keep an eye on this guy. Absolutely. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you. Have a great week, and we will be back soon. Uh, I'll toss a couple of polls up on Twitter this week. I was uh, a little distracted and didn't get as many up as I thought I would. Take care.